0: Hello and welcome to a special replay episode of episode 97 auction draft strategy with Jack Han. With peak draft season approaching we have received a lot of requests for more auction draft content. Fortunately we have that on the way we'll release a brand new podcast episode next week on auctions in addition to content in the draft kit. For those of you who are drafting now Or anyone who missed this last year, though, we thought this episode from last summer with Jack Han was such a worthwhile listen that we are re-releasing it again. Of course, specific player values and player targets won't apply, but a general strategy discussed still holds up quite well. I learned a lot in this episode about doing an auction draft, particularly about making a plan heading into the draft and nomination and endgame strategies. Again, this is a replay episode, so from here on out, it's a recording from August of 2020. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the official establish the podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here. At ETR, as always, I am joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva. And one of the requests we have heard most often is we need more auction content. Auction is the real way to play, they say. Snake drafts are for boomers, they say. So we went out. We got the best. One of the game's most renowned and experienced auction players out there. It is notorious high stakes auction grinder, Jack Hahn. Jack, how's it going?
1: It's going well, Adam. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. yeah, Evan. <laughs> uh, thanks for being here, Evan. I know you've heard it as well. We've covered a lot of snake stuff. We have not covered a lot of auction stuff. What's going on?
2: What's up? I had to. Uh, well, I listened to Jack Han on a podcast. I think it was the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, maybe like 2016 or something. And um, you know, he he obviously was you know really smart and had a bunch of insights regarding uh, auction. So. Over the past year, I've had to recruit Jack Han because Jack Han is not a guy that really wants to give away a lot of information. I had to go, you know, put on my my Bob Huggins hat, my um my Rick Patino hat, and and get and buy him beers and take him out for pizza. And I finally lured him uh, onto the uh, establish the run podcast. He did a, an excellent uh, article uh, regarding his personal auction draft strategy, and um, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. So, to so, sum it
1: up, to sum it up, ahead. basically it just took some beers and pizza and I was in.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cheap
0: date. Okay. Uh I want to be sure everyone reads Jack's article on Establish Run right now because as Evan said, Jack reveals in detail exactly how he preps for an auction draft and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about preparation here, Jack, because that's obviously a huge key to it. I'll put the link to Jack's article in the show notes. We're also going to talk about uh, some of those concepts that he talks about in the article today, because I think there's a ton of strategy and nuance around auction. And maybe we'll even talk about some players a little bit as well. But first, I wanted to get to know Jack a little bit. How did you get into this whole high stakes auction fantasy football thing? Jack, you seem like a normal guy, not one of these basement dwellers like the rest of us who are in here grinding, uh, grinding fantasy football.
1: I think it. you got to go back 20 years uh, my I had a partner back then and we went to the very first world championship of fantasy football when it started. So I've been going to Vegas for 20 years since the inception of the national competitions and probably at about year seven or eight. So I've been in it for 12 or 13 years. I started to watch some of the auctions and I just said, whoa, you know, this is for me. It was great. It was just exciting to watch. And I just jumped in the next year then.
0: Yeah. Uh, There's no denying that auction is more exciting. You can't prepare quite in the same kind of linear way that you prepare for a snake draft. Why do you think auction caught your eye? Why do you think auction is better than snake?
1: I've always been a gamer, right? A strategy gamer. My family knows that. I'm super competitive, always have, have been for 53 years. So when I saw auction drafts, there's so much more strategy involved. Redrafts, I get to sit back, Check players off a list. Think about who I'd like to take in a few picks. Auction, it's every single second. Someone gets nominated. Right away, I'll know how much they ought to go for. Am I going to bid? How much am I going to bid? It's constant microseconds decisions along the way. How am I going to change things? Because there's always things that need to change. So it's basically, to me, two and a half to three hours of straight fun and excitement. And that's, I just love to do those so much more than redrafts, although redrafts are fine too.
0: Yeah. You're speaking my language with this gamer stuff. Do you play any DFS? Do you play any poker? It sounds like that stuff might be right up your alley too.
1: I don't. I've I've dabbled a little bit in DFS, but I, I just pretty much concentrate on the yearly redraft leagues. More and more toward auctions, but still do national competitions. Poker, I've always respected those who know it really well and decided I'm, I'm best not to play that yeah. because I'd probably like it and then just lose a lot. So I leave <laughs> that to you guys.
0: Okay, cool. Um, All right. Let's get into some auction stuff. Uh, Obviously we have spent a ton of time, Evan and I, and Evan in particular comparing relative player values, what we think of X guy versus Y guy, what we think X team is going to do, coaching strategy, everything that goes into what a player's value is. How do you, You talk a lot in the article about preparing yourself by coming up with values that you think a player is worth. I think it's kind of easier said than done. How do you recommend people come up with their own values going into a draft?
1: Well, I I explained in the article, the way that has worked for me for years now is getting actual numbers. You have to go out there and find the information that will tell you what the actual numbers will be, or you know, a close range for what the actual sale prices of players are. It's nice that sites put together expected value and sometimes they try to guess how much they might go, but it's nothing like actually knowing because when you know the numbers, then you can really game plan for what is gonna work for a particular plan. You know, there's always here or there, there might be some variations with players, but you know, it's a limited amount of money. It's $2,400 on a $200 cap and 12 uh, team league. So if money's going one way, it has to be accounted for somewhere else.
0: Sure. Evan, have you played a lot of auction? I, my home league actually went to auction like four years ago. And so I have a bit of experience playing auction. These are all online, not live, which I think is a different setting. But do you play much auction at all, Evan?
2: Um, I really haven't. I mean, it's, I've, I mean, I've played auctions before, but never for you know a, a significant amount of money, um, like expert mock you know. Um, and, and I want to get more into it, and I want to join this league that Jack, uh, you know, accused me of, of uh, chicken out, chickening out on. Um, but I, I wanted to ask Jack one specific question because one thing, I mean, this this idea of the game plan where you almost you 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 you're almost like. Uh, pre-dedicating numbers to guys and building like a team in advance that you can actually build during the auction. I mean, you have to read the article. That's probably not the best uh, description of it, but Jack like pre-plans a team. Almost You almost like plan to draft a specific roster type. Obviously you're not probably going to be able to put together that exact same team, but that concept of, um, you know, almost like, Putting together the team in advance was really, really interesting to me when I was reading your article and I was hoping that you could elaborate on that. Like how, how is that to actually uh, put into action? Uh,
1: Percentage wise, I can usually hit about 60 or 70% of the players. Um, If if I have a, a list of eight guys in my, in my plan, you know, I could, I could usually get at least five or six of those, right. You have to go with the flow though. You know, if someone's going to bid $5 more on the guy you planned, you have to drop it and move on. So it all depends how it's going. You know, the other night I, uh, I had an auction on Saturday night where I budgeted Alvin Kamara for 49. Well, I ended up buying them for 53, but that was okay. It was almost as a high end of the range, but I did it. And then I just have to adjust the rest of the plan, moving numbers around a little bit. So, uh, I always though put in backup players. So if I wouldn't have gotten Kamara, who else is comparable to $49 in my mind? The Zeke Elliott? Is that someone I'd even be interested in? Dalvin Cook, a few dollars lower. How about uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire? That's you know, maybe about five to seven dollars lower these days. So are those guys I'd be willing to take for that slot? And if it is, and then I buy one for 44, I've saved myself you know, six, seven dollars and then I can move it to another position and I know it right away. So i always have to have backup plans there too. So if I'm hitting guys in my first, second or third slots, then I feel like I've I've accomplished what I've set out to do.
2: And when you put together those like pre-planned almost like let's call them like roster builds, a pre-planned roster build, how like how many teams might you put together during your planning process? you know, like, like, I mean, would it be 10? Would it be maybe three or how do you do that?
1: It could, it could be any of those. It could be three or four. Uh, When I fly out to Vegas, I'm always, I'm doing it for four hours on the plane. It's my, it's like literally my favorite flight of the year because I start putting together like at least eight to 10 different plans for leagues that I'm doing. And some of them might be all just uh, in, for example, an FFPC league, because I do several of those with those rules. So I'll do quite a few and I'll try all different types of strategies, whether it's heavy wide receiver, whether it's stud running back, a uh, heavy tight end, a combination of all of those. And then every once in a while I'll hit one and I'll go, Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> right. And so I know, yeah, that's good. The numbers and, and the numbers work. And I know if I go really heavy on studs, I know that I have, lesser players for five or seven or $10 ready to go in the other slots that I'm happy with.
2: Wait, What? let me, let me, let me get in one more. Um, So you have to be also able to, you have to be very, uh, you know, like you have to have an ability to adjust on the fly. right? Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you're talking about, Hey, I go in with this plan, but I'm also willing to have a, you know, a backup plan on, on certain, you know, uh, salary allocations, um, that like probably goes hand in hand with what you do in, in real life being a litigator, right? I mean, sometimes you might, a curveball might come at you and you have to be able to adjust to that.
1: Yeah. All yeah. the time. And it's probably not a coincidence that I'm a lawyer doing that and do it loving auction drafts. It's the same kind of thought, quick thought process, you know, second to second, uh, same kind of thing.
0: Uh, OK, I want to get into some roster building here, because what you're describing, like building teams and stuff is exactly what we do in DFS. We try stuff around. If we have some really good cheap plays that we like, we can afford more expensive plays. We might overpay for a guy that we really like more, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about starters versus bench, because a lot of people's question is, hey, how much should I be spending on my starters versus my bench? We're assuming eight starters. Jack's referring to leagues in the article. Quarterback, two running back, two wide receiver, two flex tight end, people want to say, hey, should I just fill my bench with all $1 guys? Just load up on all starters. What's your strategy on starters versus bench?
1: When I do my plans, I will always try to start with a budget of 170 to 175 of the 200. So it's anywhere from 85 to to 90%. I try not to go up to 90, but 85 to 87% on my starters. And then I can adjust it here. If I'm at 170 I can always adjust it a couple if, if I paid $3 more for a player that I really want. So if I know I have those numbers, then it's easy enough for me to adjust along the way.
0: Uh, a strategy, I think a common strategy, and the strategy I like to employ in auction, and, and I think, I, and it's obvious stars and scrubs is what you're going to hear from a lot of people, right? And we talk about that's often right in DFS also when you have really good, one dollar players, two dollar players in DFS, really good 3K players, three K players, thirty five hundred. I probably overrate my ability, and my opponents certainly in my auction with my home league aren't the same as your opponents. But I overrate my ability to get one and two dollar players that could be starters for me that I think are actually good. So if you can, I think stars and scrubs is right. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know what it's like in, against more uh, tougher competition. But where do you come down on this whole debate of balance versus stars and scrubs?
1: That's a good question. So based on my years of observing and playing and learning from the best guys, I am stars and scrubs, all right? So that's what I developed. And then as I watched the guys that I respect the most, and that means who win the most, right? It's almost always guys that go stars and scrubs, almost always. So You know, I could name four or five players. I'm like, yeah, those are the top guys I compete against. Almost invariably, they do the same thing. It doesn't mean other strategies don't work. I've just seen results. And so that's what I do. And that's what I'm going to do and stick with that.
0: Yeah. If everybody's trying to do that, though, we're going to run into a problem, right? Because then the bidding for the foundation players gets out of control, particularly in this year, I think, where the top, I don't know, 12 running backs is so far a cut ahead of the rest isn't everybody going to be trying to do this and the bidding on those top 12 running backs is going to get out of control
1: yeah it it definitely can then you have to make the decision and I try to do that ahead of time if that's going to happen then I should have a backup plan what would I do in that circumstance so based on my league where will the value this specific league I'm doing where will the value probably fall Okay. And that's one of the things I'm seeing this year with such a huge overemphasis on about the top eight to 10 running backs and paying big numbers for those. Am I going to jump in and bite it and buy one or two, or am I going to look at some of the values that I'm seeing at other positions? So um, I've pretty much so far gone one way and I'll get at least one of the top running backs, but I'm prepared in the event people are pricing me out to be ready for a different plan because I have them ready to
2: roll. Yeah. Um, Last year, I know that Lamar Jackson was one of your highest owned quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Um, But he was pretty cheap. I mean, you were probably getting him for, I don't know what, nine to 12 bucks. Three in Vegas. I was getting it for
1: three.
2: Right. Three bucks. Okay. So, um, yeah you know, obviously in season long redraft the dominant strategy when it's approaching the quarterback position is late round quarterback you know spend as little as you uh, possibly can on the quarterback position how how do you deal with that though in in uh, in auction are you would you be willing to pay i don't know 30 40 bucks for Patrick Mahomes or 30 40 bucks for Lamar Jackson
1: never uh, and I can tell you the prices this year, based on $200 leagues, 12 team leagues, and this is both for FFPC type rules with tight end premium or just straight PPR leagues, the prices for Jackson is about 20 to 24, and same thing for Mahomes. So if it's going to be at around 15, I might do it, but somebody's always willing to pay up for those quarterbacks. Uh, is there an advantage? Yes. But is there enough of an advantage when you know how deep this player pool is for quarterbacks and the guys that I'm getting for $2 or $3 and I haven't done it yet buying either Mahomes or Lamar. It's to me that I want to take that money and put it in position players instead. Right.
2: What's your strategy for like nominating specific players? Um, You know, do you do it to, do you try to nominate guys that you do want? Do you try to nominate guys that you don't want? You know, how do you go about that? Uh,
1: This is literally at least a full podcast (laughs) because how you nominate and when and who there's so many different variables that go into that. Okay. Um, One of the things I would say though, from the beginning is I don't nominate anyone just to take money off the board. I know some people do that. Well, let's nominate the highest player remaining, highest cost player, just to take money off the board. I don't think that's a good purpose because other guys are going to do that. I always have a purpose for a nomination. So, um, and, and it could be just small purposes. Like it, I, I've noticed if, I'm, if six quarterbacks are off the board, but there's still guys like Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson available. All right, then I'm going to nominate Tom Brady, and someone's going to put Tom Brady on their team. Okay, and right, I'm going to nominate another $3 quarterback. Just increase my odds to get Kyler Murray, because I saw that happen in an auction last week. Kyler Murray went for $6, and I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? Is there something to be learned there for some of these guys to to put up other guys and have them – bought so you know you just never know how that's gonna go but that's a purpose uh saturday night i was in an auction and i created a plan where one of those where i went oh yeah i'm gonna do this i bought three stud running backs from the first round in like the first 12 buys kamara cook and hilaire okay I got the juices flowing, right? But then what's my nomination strategy after that? Now that's one where I'm going to nominate running backs after that because I expect their prices to go higher. Because now I have three of them on my team and there's 11 teams that say we need running backs. So prices did go up $4 on Mixon, $4 on Derrick Henry, four more dollars on other one. And so I purposely wanted to take that money off the board with the purpose of running backs. So, that's one big thing. Always looking for a purpose. Yeah. Um, One other thing that I've noticed and I've learned in all my years that if there's a player, let's say a, some kind of veteran, you're not hearing much buzz about. And as I was thinking about, about this Cortland Sutton is a perfect example this year, even though he's a second or third year player, right? I know his price. There's no buzz about him. If I nominate a guy like that with my first nomination, He is not going to go for $24. It is going to go for 18. So if he's an important guy in my plan, I'm not nominating him first guy because then I know I can literally buy him, put him in the plan and boom, I have him. that doesn't work for a guy like Terry McLaurin though. (laughs) A lot of buzz. everyone's getting on him, right? So if you put him up early, he'll go for four or five extra dollars for sure. So there's different things like that, 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 just help me know when to nominate certain players. Um, there's also an art to nominations, like at the end. If I if I have a certain guy that I kind of like, and like for for example, one is Sterling Shepherd, because I know typically if he comes toward the end of the auction, two or three dollars. But if I put him up somewhere in the middle, someone will buy him for six. So you can't do it. All right. So it it those things you learn over time when to put up players and when not to. But literally there's there's so many points on this, Evan. I, I could talk about nominations for a long time.
2: Well, I think we probably would agree that the sucker in every auction is the guy who like, you know, doesn't he like leave you know he doesn't spend like fifty-five of his budget, right? Or forty. Does that ever does it ever happen in like high stakes auctions where a guy just almost like outsmarts himself and doesn't spend, you know, or only spends like 160 of his 200.
1: Not, not quite that much. I've seen anywhere from 10 to $20 where we guys buy too many lower price players along the way. And then suddenly have 10 or $15, maybe even more at the end. So you'll see some crazy nomination for his last guy. He'll just put it all up on, on a final player. I'm never in that position because I've spent
0: yeah, when you go Stars and Scrubs early, you're you're way more likely to be you know kind of squeeze out one and two dollar guys than you are worrying about leaving money on the table. And also, you had a line in there. I think your your line from your wife. It's, it said, "Remember the Nordstrom principle: if you want it, buy it." Now, yeah. I, I had to ask you about that because you didn't explain it really in the article. First of all, uh, congrats to your wife. If you want to buy it, sounds like a great attitude to have. Se- second of all, uh, we can't really say that all the time, right? Because even if right. I want Christian McCaffrey, I can't spend more than $10 an was prepared to spend on him. So um, we can't just want it and buy it, right?
1: Most of the time, yes. Right. Most of the time, you, you might be willing to pay the extra, but then you better have it budgeted in to know what else you can get. It, you're likely going to hurt your team if, if you decide to go that high. But, yeah. you know, uh, that's, what, that's what she's used on me when she comes back from Nordstrom. <laughs> so I thought it was good advice. There's certain players you just, you gotta say, I'm going to, I'm going to get them
0: yeah. as long and as you know what
1: the actual value is.
0: Right. I, I think the point that you made about buzz guys, cause like, I know I'll do my draft. And if I put Will Fuller up there, I'm going to end up paying an extreme, extreme uh, uh, premium to get Will Fuller. If I put someone up there, like you said, Corwin Sutton, somebody else is not getting any buzz uh you know i'll get him for cheap so uh, you know that's the difference between auction and snake i think you know you can get will Fuller consistently in the sixth round of snake you can be confident in that in auction man it could get wild if you put will fuller up there
1: well that's a a really interesting player to bring up because that was one of the guys i was going to bring up at the end if you ask me about certain players he is consistently going for nine or ten dollars which is one of those guys that really makes no sense to go for nine or ten dollars. Don't put him up early. Wait till the end. No one puts him up early. But if you do, then he might go for 15. But he is going for a great price in light of uh what he's looking at this year. And I know both you guys are Will Fuller right. fans.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one one strategy that I have for the end game. You mentioned end game because I do think end game is important, especially if you're going with the stars and scrub strategy. If I think I have a sleeper that I like, I mean, I won't nominate him until everybody's out of money. So like, I like Zach Moss or I like Damian Harris, and obviously these guys have buzz now. But I'm talking about like a few weeks ago. I would just literally no, try to wait till everybody is out of their money to nominate them. Hopefully, everybody just forgets about these guys, and maybe I have enough at the end to outbid somebody else who might be waiting for them also, when you get to the end game, do you typically just wait and try to wait out people's money and try to get the guys you like for a dollar?
1: It's, it's really hard to do that because there's always a few players that have those couple extra dollars that are ready to spend it. Right? So if there's, if there's a, someone with any kind of buzz or the sharp players, you, you better be ready to put them up for two to try to avoid that. And so on my favorite end game players, I'll try to save for those $2 nominations just to increase my probabilities that he, that I get them on my team. Yeah. If I know a guy's going for a dollar based on all the auctions I've been doing, I'll save them for a dollar. One guy that kind of surprises me on that is Curtis Samuel. I've never been a fan, but the dude's going to be in Joe Brady's offense <laughs> for a dollar. I'll wait. Yeah, well, I'm letting one of my secrets out now, right? But I'll wait till the end if I can on Curtis Samuel and put him up for a dollar. And I've yet to not get him for a dollar. Cause so many people have I, I think on recency bias bias just haven't seen the results from Curtis Samuel. Yeah.
0: See, and, and this is why I always end up going stars and scrubs. You give me Curtis Samuel for a dollar. I mean, now you're now we're talking, you know, now we're cooking with gas. And then, you know, so so yeah, that's that's definitely the style that I would take. Um, I want to ask about price enforcing. Uh I am known in my league as the price enforcer. I, I you know, I don't let people get away with steals and stuff like that. And the point you made in the article is, you know, in a worst case scenario, I end up getting a guy for cheaper than I think he would be if I bid him up to maybe 3 or $4 cheaper than I think he should go. So in a worst case scenario, I end up with the guy, but I got him at a good price. So are you yeah. the price enforcer in these leagues that you do? Is there someone that takes that role often or you just only do it on guys that you definitely want?
1: I pretty much do it. I'm, I'm really active when I have the money to spend, right? And I, and I know where that, where that point usually comes where I need to stop. And you mentioned it, you know, if I'm within three or $4 on the higher price guys, then, I, then I'll back off. And there's other guys that know the numbers pretty much as well. So I don't have to be the only one doing it. Typically in the leagues that I do that are live in Vegas, there'll be at least three or four guys that are price enforcing. Often we're going against each other when we're seeing a few dollars of value sitting there on the player, but we'll be bidding against each other. So I'll do that. I, I used to make some mistakes when I first started and I'd go too far. Mm -hmm. So when I know I get close, I always have to ask myself, you know, that split second, am I willing to spend that money on this guy? Because it could easily happen. And so uh, at that point I just, I'll just stop and let someone else keep bidding if they're in. But I think, I think that is part of our job.
0: You have when to I, know it. when I get into like a price enforcing war with somebody, I'll just, I'll just type in the chat boxes. I'm doing these online. I'll type in the chat box. Like I'm going to stick you, I'm going to stick you, you know, in like all capital letters, just let them know that, that I might stop bidding at any time. Um,
1: well, that's part of the fun.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's
1: even more fun live, right? Oh, it, for it's, sure. it's awesome live because then I love the psychological game too. So I'll, I'll change up my cadence. I'll change up my volume. That's the most fun when I get louder, Right. Then some literally some guys will be like, what's that? And it's funny to me, but it's all part of the fun, just to how to mix things up and how fast you bid, how slow you bid, jumping in at the last second. So you can't be predictable
2: on these things. Uh, We talked a lot about the similarities between auction and DFS, which I think is really interesting. I I really hadn't even considered that before. Uh, But one of the big, you know, big uh, approaches in in DFS, to stack your quarterback with a pass catcher um, or maybe even a running back or or maybe both. Um, Is that something that you concern yourself with uh, very much in uh, in auction drafts or are you more focused on trying to get good values, trying to build your your pre-planned game plan?
1: I'm mostly just focused on my own plan.
2: If I see a value
1: along the way, that is definitely a value. And sometimes that happens. I'll, I'll buy it, put it in the plan and adjust the plan on the fly. So uh, that looking for the values becomes increasingly important in the last, like 40% of of the auction of the players looking for, you just never know like when that Kyler Murray for $6 suddenly comes up. I'm I'm not usually looking for it at quarterback because the prices are pretty much, are pretty much set. I know what they're going to be. I look for it in the other positions, but you just got to be ready to jump in as fast as you can, especially live. And especially at the end game, I should mention that with the, with the one and $2 players that Adam brought up, man, you have got to be ready for that dollar nomination to go to it is, it got to be lightning fast. The other night I missed out on Emmanuel Sanders for two and Anthony Miller for two. Cause I was just a hair slow on hitting the button online.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Got a quick trigger finger. Um, we mentioned a little bit about running backs and you said you, you did one with a strategy of getting three of the top 12, three first round running backs. I'm curious how you think, if you think this year is unique with all the running back thirst and how that affects auction versus snake, because in auction, obviously you have a completely empty palette; You can do whatever you want. You can get three, of the top twelve, if you want them, how do you think this year's kind of running back thirst affects auctions?
1: It has moved money from focusing on wide receivers, which which had really been in vogue, you know, like four or five years ago, uh, moved it back to the wide rec- back to wide receiver value. So the money went from wide receivers to running backs, which has created just fantastic veteran bargains in wide receivers. I've I've seen some numbers. Here's one for Evan. Amari Cooper, three straight drafts, $21 to $22. Typically in years past uh, Cooper would have been at least 29 and the situation's only improved in Dallas, right? Mm -hmm. He's been way below market in my mind. Mike Evans, $25, $26 every draft he's like the most consistent wide receiver over the past six years and his, his price has moved down. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to create a draft plan. If you want to focus on, you know, those receivers that are like 10, 10 to rated 10 to 12, that are really good prices that there aren't getting a lot of the buzz. And, you know, there's been negative buzz about Evans and whether Brady's going to throw downfield. That's pretty much all I hear over the last six months, but he's still Mike Evans. Right. So you can just you can focus on getting a lot of good wide receiver values this year.
0: Yeah. well, I like Mike Evans. I don't want to get too far into player takes, but I think there shouldn't be as big of an ADP gap between Chris Godwin and Mike Evans as there is. I think Mike Evans is definitely uh, a good buy. Let me me jump
2: in with with one player take, because Jack discussed this independently. The notion of, um, you know, trying to secure like the Ravens backfield. Um, because Mark Ingram's not going to be particularly expensive. J.K. Dobbins is not going to be per- particularly expensive. I don't know exactly what the auction values are, but I, my guess is that you can, you can maybe get both of them for like 25 bucks or something like that, right? Yeah. So w- what's your th- what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's like a, a, a strategy that is not approved in many other fantasy formats, but it may make sense, a lot of sense potentially uh, in auction.
1: It does make sense in auction in a solo contained league versus a national competition. If there's two guys, not sure who the starter is going to be and it's really just those two guys, then what's the price? What's the total price? So like you said, you, Ingram and Dobbins, I've seen them go anywhere from a com- combination of 25 or even $21. They both came out late the other night, $21 on the Baltimore Ravens run offense, Right. And I don't think it's going to be Edwards or or Justice Hill doing much. So, if one of those guys gets hurt, or if Dobbins just takes that roll over at the end of the year, you've got a cheaper stud running back there. You just gotta you know take some risk on with that. There's some other really good ones too. I mean, I've seen Jonathan Taylor going from anywhere from sixteen to twenty dollars. Uh, pair him with Mac, which feels kind of cheap to me, because I'm not sure how long he's going to hang on to anything, but that's another one that's going anywhere from 20 to $24, right? The, 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 you have Neheim Hines in there. not sure how many uh, third downs he's going to be in on. But, you know, you can look for these combinations of players that could fill one of those running back slots um, in a game plan like that. So you could take a couple of those on some run-heavy offenses and really hit some consistent point-producing wide receivers in a plan by saving money on running backs. So if you're not hitting those big time, you know, RB thirsty uh, teams that the teams are sucking those up, that's one way you can go with it. Yeah,
0: I think the difference with, you know, we don't recommend people typically taking handcuffs very often because it caps your upside a lot. And Jack mentioned in national tournaments, these large field tournaments, and in best ball, it really caps your upside a lot. But in auction, the opportunity cost isn't as much because if you're getting guys at good values, you don't spend nearly as much as your cap as you would spending like a sixth and a seventh on Dobbins and Mark Ingram or something like that. Exactly.
1: Um, Exactly. I got one other really good one for you. And this one was, I thought knowing how much Evan loves the Dallas Cowboys and maybe you do too, Adam, I saw the, uh, the ETR value on auctions for Cooper Gallup and lamb was $55. They've been consistently selling all three of them together for $35. $37, $39. 37, $39. Those are my last three auctions. So a huge amount of value on an offense that would make Evan salivate, right? This is why you need to do an auction with us, Evan.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're way above market on Amari Cooper. That's probably where the big price difference comes in. But but yeah, and and I think Michael Gallup is a tremendous value too. And no, and people aren't don't seem to be too excited about CD Lamb for whatever reason. Um as well. Uh, yep. okay. Before we have to listen to questions, anything else for Jack, Evan?
2: No, let's hit the uh, listener questions.
0: All right. From Blue Devil Boss, he says, how do you evaluate pricing strategy? Is it a points per dollar comparison? I guess Blue Devil Boss is asking uh, how to evaluate players' prices. Like, is it just strictly you project their points, you divide it by their salary, and that's how you get a value? Because that's like the most remedial way you would do it in DFS.
1: Well, I obviously, uh, as I've explained, I get actual price results from completed auctions and similar leagues. So then I know what the numbers are, but then I will go to websites and I'll look at projections. How how are people viewing? Here's a guy, Robert Woods, you know, he's been steady, consistent. And a lot of sites are actually rating Robert Woods higher, right? So if I get a feel for how it is with projections, because I'm not going to be, the stud on projections. I leave that to people who like to do that. I don't, uh, who like to do that and are knowledgeable on it. And then I'll, I'll compare where prices are versus where are these guys projected? So, um, I just form my own opinions then, um, looking at where I know the numbers are going to come in versus how highly these guys are projected to produce.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're not dealing with your own statistical projections where you're saying, well, Dak Prescott's twenty. He's only. I'm only projecting him for four hundred fantasy points, and Matt Ryan goes for fifteen. But I'm projecting him for four hundred and fifty fantasy points. Price per dollar is obviously way better value on on Matt Ryan, right? You're not coming in with that kind of sheet.
1: No, no, not that detailed. Nope. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we might be able to set you up with Mike Leone. You might be able to. You might be able to get some getting some done here with uh with some more spreadsheets and stuff I, out there.
1: I had an auction with him earlier this year.
0: Oh, nice. Nice.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you crush he did him? A nice job. You mm-hmm. <laughs> probably bid way too much on deandre hopkins
1: <laughs> probably did put him on the team
2: yeah
0: <laughs> okay uh, question two comes from the dude of buys. we kind of hit on this already but he says when is the best time to nominate popular sleepers slash undervalued that you are targeting and let's not talk about the one and two dollar guys let's just talk about <laughs> guys you like that you think are undervalued who might go in like the mid-range when do you like to nominate those kind of guys
1: well if they're a popular sleeper the players there's no good time to nominate them because people are on them. So you you see this every year with certain players, more and more buzz, then they're no longer a sleeper. And so they are going to go for higher than you probably expect, whether it's beginning of the auction or whether it's toward the end. So the only time I'd probably nominate a a popular player like that, that's got a lot of buzz, is if I I specifically want to take him off the board so I could get a guy later on like Will Fuller. Right. That's when I would do it. If you really want the player, then I'd probably just try to nominate it right in the middle of the auction somewhere. If that's a a popular guy with the buzz, Um, because I don't think there's any really good time.
0: Is there any merit to like letting people blow their role? Like, Hey, you know, let's let you, you know, hang yourself with, with all these uh, overpaying for guys throughout the draft. And then I'm going to wait to nominate, I don't know, like Ronald Jones until, you know, six teams have already blown their load.
1: It can happen. Yeah. Where then you get, if you see someone that's falling in surprise, you and you know, a lot of money's off the board. uh It's likely that's going to be way undervalued player. And I've seen that happen a few times in the last week at pretty much every auction. There's going to be someone like that, that hasn't been nominated, especially in a, a stars and scrubs focused league. There will be undervalued players that are, that are going to be bid on. So, if I'm in there uh, in that situation, I always want to look at how teams are getting constructed because if it's a Ronald Jones, I'd be saying, who else needs a running back yet? And how much money do they have? Right. And if I think it's a guy that I can get based on what I'm seeing and who needs a running back, then I might put him up and, and go, go bid it and get him.
0: Uh, speaking of that, you mentioned in the article that you, during an auction, you keep track of what every other team is doing in terms of, positions filled and their money. If you draft online, you know, I play on Yahoo or whatever, they keep that for you. I assume you have to keep it by hand in Vegas or whatever, but there's definitely a ton of value in that. What are you looking at when you look at other guys' teams as you kind of get to the middle and the end?
1: I'm always looking to see who has filled, who has filled positions and who have open, you know, it works great with a one starter with a tight end or the quarterback. Uh, If someone still doesn't have a second running back, I want to know that. I want to know who I'm bidding against and how much money they have. So I I always feel like that gives me an advantage to know who still needs to fill slots because then I can see how much money they have. And yeah, it's so much easier online for those that keep track of that. Yeah. Um, But it, it does help to see, especially in a league that starts three wide receivers then you've got to see who still has money and who's going to be bidding on wides because there's guys that they're going to be coming down the pike, like a Tyler Boyd and McLaurin, DK Metcalf, guys that are in like the 12 to $18 range. And you got to know how many there are if you still need two of them and who else needs them So right. uh, it helps to know that and then to figure out when you're going to, when you're going to put them up. If, if I see that happening and there's certain guys that, need a position. That's a, That's where I'd nominate a guy that I don't want. A wide receiver, fill that slot. You can have him. I don't want him. just to, you know, marginally increase the likelihood that I get a player on my team that I do want.
0: Right. All right. Question three comes from Reagan. He says, with auction allowing you to construct any type of team you want, is there merit to the idea of building a roster of third to fifth round guys? He's talking about snake, obviously. Typically, I find these players' as values as most budget is spent on the fir- first 36. This goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. If everybody's going stars and scrubs, you're going to get incredible values, I would think, on like third to fifth, third to seventh round snake draft, guys. I'm a little bit surprised that you don't find this to be like a, maybe a profitable contrarian strategy. I understand that I my first lean would be stars and scrubs also. I'm just kind of afraid that everybody I'm playing against is going stars and scrubs too. So I don't know. And what do you, I know we talked about this a little bit already, but any thoughts for Reagan?
1: I always look at results and what's worked for me. So like I said, there's value to it and you can definitely win an auction league that way, but it's not the way I'm going to choose because honestly, it's pretty rare when someone's going to push me out of stars and scrubs because I am really aggressive during those first eight to 10 guys that come up. Cause typically it's the same big, big uh, priced players, but certainly yeah, I've seen guys win that way. It's just yeah. not my preferred strategy. So for Regan's question, yeah, there's value to it. And if it was everyone doing stars and scrubs, then I might actually change and look, look to see, especially this year with the wide receiver values I'm seeing that I could easily put in a plan or I could, I'd have four of those guys that might be, typically $27, $25 players for cheaper, and maybe get a couple of teams where we talked about Ingram Dobbins combination for later on.
0: Right. Um. Okay. A lot of people have sent the same question. They want their friends, they want their league to switch from snake to auction. They're looking to you for advice, Jack. How do you convince your friends, your buddies to switch from snake to auction, give them the goods?
1: I'd first make sure my league is a bunch of diehards guys that have been in the league and love fantasy football, because this, if this is some, you know, work league where you've in, you've brought in guys that have or gals that just aren't very interested, it's never going to work. But if, if it's my league, I would say, you guys, we have to try this at least once I've seen, I've seen this recommendation before we have to try this once. If you don't like it better, we can always go back to redraft. But it's so much more fun. There's so much more strategy. You get to buy any player you want, so you everyone will have an equal chance at Christian McCaffrey. Right. So I would just I would go with that argument and work on guys.
0: Yeah, and uh, I actually think that's the best argument for guys that listen to this. There's a lot of DFS guys that listen to this. It's just so much more strategy than snake, and that would be my best uh, argument for it. And also, it's just not fair. Like whoever runs pure and gets the 1.01 gets Christian McCaffrey. That doesn't seem american you know what i mean everybody should have an equal chance to get christian mccaffrey all right anything else for jack evan before we get out of here
2: no this was excellent thanks so much for joining us jack we, we really really appreciate it
0: yeah, yeah Jack. Tell, tell the people where they can find you if you want to be found i don't know if you want to be found or not if you do feel free to plug anything or tell the people where they can find you
1: on the internet if you need a business lawyer <laughs> <laughs> uh, jack Han law that's uh that's my Twitter handle, also Jack on Law, and I, you know, I'm there in a suit with my daughter from a few years ago, so I'm fairly easy to find on uh, on the internet or Twitter.
0: Cool. Uh, you can find Jack's article as part of our draft kit. Again, our draft kit is just thirty five dollars, comes with a twenty five dollar coupon to use in an FFPC, and then it's only ten dollars, and then you'll win your league after listening to Jack's advice. And then it's just a total print fest. It's like free money, found money. So go ahead and check that out. So, for Evan, for Jack, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody.